Uh, and then they would ask the question, and he would say, is that your final answer? And he'd go, dun, 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 right? <laughs> and there was so much on the line, so much at stake in those moments as the question was being asked. And if the question was wrong, there was just this, you know, across the audience, just this, and if the question was right, everybody's hooping and hollering, right? Excited, you know, especially on Family Feud, they're all high-fiving each other. Good answer, good answer, you know? Uh, so if you answer right, there is a reason to celebrate, and if you answer wrong, uh, well, you probably lost the pot of money that you had accumulated, right, uh, on that show. Uh, we see a lot of questions and answers going on in uh, this passage of John chapter 18. We've got Jesus being questioned, and we've got Peter being questioned. And the truthfulness of those answers bears much at stake. Do you see where I'm going with this? Um, last week, we, we sort of ended the sermon with Peter um, confronted by Jesus after cutting off Malchus's ear. You remember that? And Jesus said, brother, stop. Put your sword in its sheath. It is the cup not mine to drink. Do you want to drink the cup? The cup from God has been given to me. Stop. Sinning, and he tells him to stop, and, and um, he, he's, he's letting his disciples go, showing that he is the one who's going to be crucified. He's the one who's going to drink the cup of wrath. He's the one who's going to be the final substitute. He's been bound by the Jewish authorities. They, they've got him now. They're on their way, taking him to Annas and eventually Caiaphas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Um, but but other than what's going on with Jesus here, we've also seen John, the way he's writing, also giving us a clue as to what's happening in Peter's life, right? Peter's got some weird things going on, and Peter's had some strong moments just in the Gospel of John. He's got stronger moments in other Gospels, but even just in John, we, we've got uh, Jesus being like the, the spoke, or um, Peter being like the, the spokesperson in some ways. You might recall when they first met in chapter 1, and Andrew uh, was uh, just had just become a disciple. He said, "I got to go get Peter. I want to introduce him to Jesus. The Messiah has come. He's here." And, and upon meeting Jesus, Jesus just looks at him and says, "You're going to be called Cephas now, right? You're going to be called this rock. You're going to be called the the foundation, the the unmovable one." In chapter six, when Jesus fed the five thousand. All of them are beginning to leave after being fed because they realize Jesus wasn't just a bread giver, right, but a life giver. And he turns to his disciples and he's like, y'all leaving too? Y'all going to follow the crowd? And, and, and Peter speaks up and says, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe you are the Holy One of God, he says. Not too long ago, we were in John chapter 13. And, and Peter, or Jesus was beginning to wash the disciples' feet at dinner time. He puts a, a robe or a, a towel around his waist, and he fills up a basin of water and gets down. He says, I'm going to wash Peter's feet. Peter says, what do you think you're doing? You will not be washing my feet today. Never will you wash my feet. He has a quick change of heart, though, about that, doesn't he? After he says, you have no share with me if I don't wash you. And towards the end of that chapter, again, chapter 13, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I want to follow you now, wherever you go. And of course, Jesus is saying, you can't follow me because I'm going a place where you cannot go. I'm going to come back, and then you can follow me when I return, but you can't follow me where I'm going. And Peter says, Lord, I, 
I'll lay my life down for you. I would lay my life down for you. That's chapter 13, verse 38, if you want to want to reference that. He says, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Will you? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. We hear from Philip and Thomas and Andrew, all those guys, but we really hear from Peter, this rock, Cephas. But this morning, that rock is going to, to, to crumble in embarrassment and fear and ultimately denial. So let's, uh, let's follow along. If you've got a bulletin, we've got kind of an outline for you to, to keep going. Uh, but let's see what God has for us today. Verse 15 and 16. Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple, since that disciple, uh, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. Now the text starts off pretty good. Simon Peter followed Jesus. Right? Uh, the, the nine other cowards must have left. We've got, we've got Peter, and we've got this one unnamed disciple. They are following Jesus. Who knows what happened to the other guys? They scattered. These two follow. So, so maybe Peter is on top. And, and Peter kind of waits outside the gate while the other unnamed disciple goes in. And by the way, a lot of people think that's John. Uh, he calls himself perhaps the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus Love the disciple whom Jesus loved. He just he doesn't give a name here. He just says another one of his disciples. So we don't know for sure if it's John, uh, but also because he knows Malchus's name, right? I think it's a pretty good chance this is John here in the courtyard. Uh, people think, well, he's a fishmonger, right? People fishermen weren't welcome in places like that who knew the high priest. Uh, but but John writing this record seems to seems to know pretty well about Caiaphas and his tribe. So, anyways, uh, so we got these two guys, Peter, probably John, they're going in, J Peter stays at the gate, uh, John goes in because he knows people, he's got the VIP, and, uh, they, they, you know, if you're watching a movie and you kind of see these two, like, sneaking in as Jesus is, is taking, is being arrested and being bound, you're almost thinking, like, these are going to be the undercover guys who are going to, they're going to rescue him, right? They're going to they're gonna save the day. They're going to be the heroes, like a FBI show or something. But that's not the case. Peter stands outside the door. It's late at night. Uh, we're not at the temple. This is most likely Annas' personal property, the courtyard of the high priest. Um, a servant girl would have never guarded the front of the temple. Um, so this is most likely his own personal property. Peter shows his first signs of weakness right here at this entrance. Unnamed disciple goes in. Most likely John. Peter stands at the gate. Maybe he sees the servant girl. They're kind of making eye contact. You know, he's like trying to look away, maybe trying to see where Jesus is at, trying to decide if he's going to try to go in or not, if he's just going to stay behind. But he's just standing at the gate. And maybe he's even thinking, hey, where'd the other nine go? Maybe I can not too late to catch up with them. But John or whoever comes back and says, hey, um, Miss Maiden, would you be willing to open up the gate and let Peter in? And it says in verse 17, let's read it. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, uh, You also 
are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. You're not also one of them. Right? Here's a golden opportunity for Peter to testify and be the bold rock that Jesus named him to be without too much pressure. Pretty much a lowly servant girl at the front door. You know, she already knows that the unnamed disciple is a disciple of Jesus. She says, are you also, right? John is here with me coming to let you in. Are you also with him? Are you also a disciple of Jesus? Right? You wouldn't have to lose too much by affirming Jesus in this moment. All he's losing is this servant gatekeeper woman, her perspective of him, right? That's all he'd be losing in this moment. He could have even deflected the conversation to the other disciple. But he says, no. I'm not. I'm not. And do you remember what Jesus did just moments ago? As an angry mob is stepping forward to him? What does the text say? He came forward to them. What a stark contrast in Jesus' willingness to go forward to please his Father. And Peter drawing back in denial and fear. Right? This was the first of the three. Peter's inside now, a raging swordsman just a moment ago, cutting off somebody's ear. Now he's a timid liar, hiding not from man, but hiding from Jesus. Peter sees that they've made a fire. It's nighttime. It's cold. They're probably going to be there a while. Everyone was there warming themselves at the fire. So Peter takes it upon himself to go over with them to stand by the fire to warm himself. Meanwhile, Jesus remains bound, cold, alone, his deity rejected. Luke 22 also tells us that there were men holding Jesus in custody, mocking him as they beat him. They blindfolded him and asked him, Prophesy, prophesy, who is it that struck you? Who is it that struck you? They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. That's Luke 22. Jesus is lying on the cold, hard ground, being beaten, as the officers literally make a game out of his torture. Peter is being warmed by the fire. And I think the implication for us is clear this morning. How quick are we in one breath to say that we'll follow Jesus? wherever he leads. But then the moment the coal of night hits us, right? How tempted are we to go and stand by the fire rather than to follow our Lord? I took a look at Charles Spurgeon's sermon on this, right? Yeah, I did look at you, Joy. Uh, but he said, I have known a man to warm himself at a very big fire through coming into possession of a large sum of property. But he has also grown very cold spiritually, for these coals of fire did not warm the heart. He goes on to, to talk about how there are these fires in our lives that warm our bodies, yet keep our hearts cold. And that's what Peter is experiencing. So what's going on in, in your heart this morning? What are those fires in your life that keep you gravitating towards the warmness of this world while your Lord suffers in the darkness? What are those fires that seem to make life comfortable but keep you in cold distance from Jesus? What crowd do you find yourself more and more drifting toward? The crowd of the comfortable, warm mockers of God? Or the crowd of those who are not afraid to share in the sufferings of Jesus? 
Given the opportunity to talk to anybody in, in John chapter 18, I would love to have a conversation with the servant girl. I would love to hear her perspective on this. What conclusions have you drawn about Christians after meeting Jesus, lying cold on the ground, being beaten? Meeting John, who evidently has some relationship with the high priest. And meeting Peter, who you know is a disciple, but denied you publicly, you know, at the gate. What, what do you see in these Christians? I think this lowly girl working the night shift at the high priest's home had been put in the presence of those who knew Jesus better than anyone else. And she might have thought to herself, what a mess this is. What a mess this is. What does this world see in our church? What does the world see about the people of Main Street? What is their testimony after spending time with a member at Main Street Baptist Church? Do they see the faithful, enduring, patient, godly follower of Christ who's willing to bear his identity no matter the cost? Or do they see, like Peter, the man who's afraid in the inner courtyard looking for a fire to keep warm? I know you guys have jobs in your workplaces and you're involved in so many different relationships throughout the week, and those are so important. You have opportunities that I could never have, that others in this congregation could never have, to testify to the gospel by your life, to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to, to pursue a boldness wherever you are and whatever you're doing, rather than shrinking back in fear, looking for a fire to keep warm by. So now let's, let's compare that with uh, Peter warming himself by the fire to, to Jesus now being questioned, right? This is kind of uh, uh, on uh, Regis Philbin now. He's going, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the final answer has been given. So let's see. Uh, verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught synagogues and the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So after all this is going on, they make a charcoal fire. Annas finally comes out sometime late at night. You know, I don't know what time it is. Maybe early hours in the morning. Annas comes out and... You know, remember, Annas and Caiaphas, these guys, you know, Annas had served as the high priest before. Caiaphas now was the high priest. These were holy people to be regarded. They were the holiest of the Jews. They went into the holy places to sprinkle the blood on the holy seat so that uh, sins would be interceded for for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. They were not to be disrespected. And I don't know exactly what Annas might have asked Jesus here, but Jesus says, I've spoken openly to the world. Whatever question you have to ask me, people already know the answer, right? It's like when you're watching the game show and you're thinking, that's easy. You have to get this one. You have to get this one, right? He says, I'm an open book. You know all the answers yourself. Your men themselves just bowed down to me a few moments ago. You should have seen it. The mob, they got on the ground when I said the words I am. It was awesome. So are you asking so you can destroy me? Or are you asking because you want to know the truth? If you want to know the truth, you can literally ask anybody who's ever talked to me. You can literally ask any person who's ever been in the synagogue or in the temple that's heard me teach. They know what I've been saying. Go ask John and Peter over there. They'll talk to you. 
And the theological truth that we, we see here is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, was put on display among us, and He was full of truth. Full of truth. He never lied. And meanwhile, Peter is lying up a storm over here. He's got two more lies to go. And, and Jesus is, is consistent, telling the truth. He's got nothing to hide. And what a thought that Jesus, so full of truth, clarity in his teaching, that he could literally point to anyone who had ever heard him teach and say that they'll, they'll tell you what I said. They'll tell you what I believe. Right? What, what if I quizzed you Monday morning and said, what, what was the sermon about, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. But Jesus could have, right? People heard him, people respected him. People knew who he was, what he stood for, what he was teaching, what he believed, and who he was following. They'll tell you what I said. So Jesus has a ministry of truth. Peter has a ministry of lying to even just the servant girl. Verse 22 says, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if, if what I said is right, why do you strike him? So Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So an officer standing by, and he hears Jesus' comment to go and ask anybody, right? You already know who I am and what I believe and what I stand for. The officer strikes Jesus with his hand, astonished that he would speak to the high priest with such arrogance, lacking reverence and fear. And yet, this officer was slapping the one with all reverence and fear, the true high priest. There's something really deep there. What, what would Jesus do in this moment? Would there be some retaliation? Would he, would he call them out for their wrongdoing? Jesus just says, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But if I'm right, why do you strike me? If you know the truth and you know that I'm saying the truth, why would you punish me for truth? He answers with, with dignity, with humility. He doesn't strike back. He was ready to turn the other cheek. He's ready to model that for Peter and John watching. Peter was ready to kill the moment he was threatened, wasn't he? Jesus turns the other cheek, continue, continues pointing these men to the truth. The truth, the truth, the truth. That's because Jesus knew the truth. And Jesus knew the truth was the only thing that could set men free. You can see the very heart of God in his response. A God who loves truth. A God who loves justice. He says, beat on me. Spit on me, curse me, kill me if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, what does that mean for you? Justice demands attention even as it's being poured out on the wrong target. We read this, John gave this to us, showing us that truth matters, even though it's going about towards the cross. Who was the one lying and warming himself by the fire? Who was the one who tried to take Jesus' cup of wrath when he pulled out a sword? Peter was the one who should have been striked, struck by that officer, and symbolically all of us. But if we are followers of Jesus, we must have a newfound love for truth. Do you love the truth, Main Street? Can I, can I just say, it's, it's real easy to tell who's following Jesus and who isn't. Jesus has told us we'll have, you know, this fruit, 
that comes as a result of being connected to the vine, being in the vineyard. But you know where that fruit comes from? It comes from people who love the truth. They know the truth. Unbelievers can do nice things and say nice things and show love to other people. And that fruit is sometimes hard to distinguish. But it's not so hard to distinguish those who are truly following Christ because they have a God-given love for truth. Those are the followers of Jesus who don't back down. They love the truth. God's given it to them. So those who are following Jesus have a love for the truth. And that truth leads them to do things like turning the other cheek. Like sharing in the cost of Christ's suffering and all other kinds of fruit. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about the lawless one and his deceit saying... The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, listen, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Can I tell you guys something? The Bible says those who don't love the truth won't be saved. If you don't love the truth, what evidence of Christ is there in your life? Jesus was all about the truth. That's why I'm thrilled when some of you say, I'm reading my Bible. This is what I learned this week. God is leading me in His truth. I know the Holy Spirit is with me. and He's been guiding me into all truth, just as Jesus said in John 14. It's happening in my life. I love the truth. Yes. And that excites me as a pastor. And I know those folks are loving Jesus and are saved by Jesus. Give me a church who loves the truth. Don't give me a church who just does a bunch of good stuff. Give me a church who loves the truth. That good stuff will come later. We're serious about the scriptures. We're serious about discipleship. We love the truth. And if we are going, if we are coming to church, and we are we're looking for a fire to stand by, like Peter, rather than a truth to follow, the Bible says you might not even be saved. If you come in here and you're a member of the church participating, actively living a life that says, where can I sit tight and be most comfortable? <laughs> the Bible says we have to question whether your heart has been changed, whether you love the truth or not. There was a Christian several centuries ago who was traveling through the forests of Poland to get to his homeland. Listen to this, true story. On his way, he encountered a band of robbers who refused to leave until he had given all that he had to those robbers. He's by himself, snowy mountains, in the forests, and he, he gets approached by these robbers. And they keep saying, is that all? Is that all you have? Is that all you have? Is that all you have? And they took all that he had until he said, yes, that's all I have. Took his horse, took all his possessions, took all his uh, traveling uh, goods and his, and his money. That he took, they took everything from this man. And he began to walk in the opposite direction of this band of robbers. Robbers, and He began to feel in his robe a piece of gold that he had sewn in with a piece of thread for safekeeping in case of emergency. And he remembered it. And he honestly did not remember that that gold was there when he was talking to the robbers. So upon feeling this little piece of gold in his robe, he turns around, goes back to the robbers, stops them, and says, I, I forgot, I'm so sorry. You know, in the midst of all the hurriedness and, and you were, you were, you know, the adrenaline was pumping and all that. I, I, I forgot that I had sewn this piece of gold 
into my robe, and you asked if I had it, if that was all I had, and I lied, and I'm sorry. The men were broken. They gave him back all his possessions and helped him get to his homeland in Poland. <laughs> they had never seen a man so convicted by the truth. And as he went on to travel with these robbers to Poland, the whole way home, all he was doing was sharing the gospel with them and why he was so committed to the truth. Do you love the truth, Main Street? Do you love the truth? People of truth don't hide. They love the truth. They come out into the light, no matter the cost. Let's give Peter one last chance, huh? Verse 25. Finally repenting. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So John is a good writer, and he points us to, to some repetitive words like standing and warming himself, standing and warming himself, standing and warming himself. We have that three times in, uh, in chapter 18. Jesus uh, is being on, on this kind of informal trial by Annas and being questioned. Peter is still by the fire, feeding the body and neglecting the soul. Feeding the body and neglecting the soul. And they, this time, say to him, they, not just the servant girl, we got all these people standing by the charcoal fire, plural people, saying, hey, aren't you, are you not also one of this man's disciples? This is the mob, these are the officers, the the officials, and, and, and they, they all are, are now asking him, that they're all, all their eyes are staring at him, or they're taking turns asking, or we don't know exactly how that, how that works, but we know by the phrasing, just like the servant girl, they also knew the unnamed disciple who was a follower of Jesus. Are you also one of this man's disciples? Are you here with John? Is, are, are you guys together? And he wasn't even necessarily being singled out in the midst of that. But the fire was so warm, the fire was so cozy, he'd been given a second chance to testify, but what did he say? I am not. I am not. So we've got the servant girl at the gate who knew the unnamed disciple. She asked if Peter was a follower of Jesus. Now we've got all the officers, the mob, standing around the fire asking together, Peter, are you a follower of Jesus? And, and there's been somewhat of a building up intensity to, to this questioning process. The servant girl kind of being the lob, you know, right down the middle of the plate. Here's an easy one for you, Peter. You're not even in the, the courtyard yet. Just tell her the truth. He swings and he strikes, right? And then he, he, he's now standing by the fire. Everybody's here a little bit scarier. So maybe a fastball, but still, you know, pretty much right down the middle. It wasn't too much at stake for him to answer yes to this question. And now we have the hardest curveball of all being thrown because uh, the very relative of the high priest's servant whom Jesus, or whom Peter had cut off the ear of now says Peter were you not in the garden just moments ago? Was that not you who pulled out the sword and cut off my cousin's ear? Well, I know it was dark, but I, didn't I see you in the garden? Are you not also? Are you sure? 
And the phrasing of this, coming back where, where Peter would have spent hours in prayer with Jesus at this garden. A place where he remembered very recently Jesus, as he pulled out his sword and cut off his ear, Jesus saying, Peter, the cup is for me, the cup is not for me. This, this, would, this would pierce the heart, unlike any of the previous questions. This would be the most intense of all three. Wasn't that you in the garden? And the Cephas, the rock, shows his brokenness once and for all. He denies it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now this rooster crowing, we, we have Peter uh, in John chapter 13 offering up his, his life boldly. And Jesus, of course, saying, you're going to deny me three times and then a rooster's going to crow. He makes that prophecy and here is the rooster crowing sometime in the early morning hours the glow of the fire over his face the confusion of Malchus's cousin's eyes before him trying to figure out if this was indeed the man who cut off his relative's ear and Matthew and, uh, and, and Mark that they say that he began to curse and swear saying that, that I don't know Christ I don't know him Luke says that from the cold, hard ground, Jesus made eye contact with him after the crowing of the rooster. And that's when Peter lost it. The rooster was not the first breaking of his heart. It was the eye contact that he made with Jesus. Sin has a hardening effect on us, doesn't it? We appease the flesh in some small way, and it slowly grows into something bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse. I think the old Southern Baptist preacher would call that backsliding. He would say there's no one sin, giant sin, that happens in a day. Something has been going on that has gradually led to this. Martin Luther said uh, of this passage, How shocking the stupidity of Peter who after having denied his master not only has no feeling of repentance, but hardens himself by the very indulgence he takes in sinning. If each of them in his turn had asked him, he would not have hesitated to deny his master a thousand times. Such is the manner in which Satan hurries along wretched men after having degraded them. He goes on, he says, Thus it happens every day. At first the fault will not be very great. Next it becomes habitual, and at length, after the conscience has been laid asleep, he who has accustomed himself to despise God will think nothing unlawful for him, but will dare to commit the greatest wickedness. Now, if Peter wasn't exempt from sin hardening the heart, I hope you know that you're not exempt from sin hardening your heart. How is the condition of your soul? How is your conscience? Has the indulgence of sin denying your master blinded you from your own state of wretchedness? Is your conscience asleep? As Martin Luther said. Let me give you a few symptoms, diagnosis, right? Get on WebMD. Is that good? I, I didn't get on WebMD. Here's a few symptoms. You haven't thought about the Holy Spirit in days, maybe weeks. You 
you have trouble identifying sin in your life. Your spiritual disciplines are in desperate need of attention. You are more concerned about the circumstances around you than how Christ is at work in you. You aren't listening to other people and what they have to say. You can't remember the last time you cried over your sin. You, you, you can't remember the last time you truly repented from your sin. You feel somewhat uncomfortable around people who tell you the truth. Maybe even just Christians in general. And the worst of all, you're believing all of the lies that you're telling yourself. The problem is with them, not me. Jesus loves me no matter what. Jesus, Jesus knows and, and understands and he'll take care of me. I, this, is, this is this little thing that I need to work out. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. Nobody's perfect, so I should try to be perfect. These are all the little phrases we use to condone our behaviors and our hard-heartedness. I love how Jesus uses a rooster of all things to signify repentance. A rooster, right? What do they do? Since the beginning of time, since old Adam named the thing, it's been crowing at the early morning, saying, Get up! Wake up! Yeah. Right? Yeah. The old farmer knows it well, and so should the Christian. How long will you go on sinning? How many times will you deny me? Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Isn't that what repentance really is? I, you know, we, we talk about repentance as we're initiating and saying, okay, now God, we're sorry. We're going to turn around and start following you again. Repentance comes from God. Repentance is the Holy Spirit piercing the heart, saying, wake up. Look at your sin. What's, what's happened to you? Look at what you're doing. Open your eyes to the, the reality of your own wickedness and your, your heart and what you're pursuing right now. The Holy Spirit initiates repentance and we respond to the Holy Spirit in love and adoration as He shows us a Savior who was struck on the cold hard ground for professing the truth while we go about lying like Peter. The Holy Spirit shows us a cross on which our Savior would eventually go and die the death that we deserve for our rebellion and constant sleeping in sin. The Holy Spirit shows us the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, testifying to us that we too can rise from our spiritual deadness and wake up in Jesus. My call for you now as your pastor is to repent. Repent. Like Peter, we need to see the piercing eyes of the Savior lock with our eyes. We need to be convicted of our own wrongdoing and denial and cling to the cross. That's repentance. Christ was questioned vigorously by Annas and answered patiently, truthfully, faithfully. Peter was questioned vigorously by the crowd of Jews, answered with sin after sin after sin after sin. Jesus was struck. Peter was warmed by the fire. Don't leave today until you hear the rooster crow and you see the gospel afresh. The Holy Spirit awakens you to a spiritual resurrection that your soul is in desperate need for. Peter lied, but he got to go in the gate anyway. Jesus' rejection means your approval. Hear the gospel this morning. 
Jesus is being struck by an officer means your forgiveness. You can move on in freedom with repentance. I don't want anything false. I don't want you saying, I'm sorry, God. I guess, you know, the pastor's calling me to repentance. The Holy Spirit has to wake you up. Yes. I want that so badly for Main Street. And once we're a church of everybody who's woken up, isn't that really just what God wants? People in truth, people who love the truth, and that truth eventually leads to fruit. That's a church led by the Spirit. We hate our sin. We run from it. And we look to Christ who took our sin. Made us alive with Him. Bore our burden. Bore our sin. Bore our punishment. Bore the Father's wrath. Drank the cup. Was beaten on the cold, hard ground. So because the Holy Spirit has pierced our hearts, we turn away from the fire. And we look for the things that warm the soul. Where are you this morning? Do you love the truth? Nothing but the truth, no matter what it costs you. Are you asleep, hardened by sin, constantly making excuses for your behavior? Wherever you are, we all need to come and repent and find our satisfaction in Jesus. Hear the crow of the rooster today. Be saved. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.